You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, painstakingly patient pacing patrons of paleobiology while paying for paintballs. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 263, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your squishy and squeezable squabbling squires squaring away squiggles. (laughs) I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. There's some commotion. There has been a bit of a, let's call it a snowball fight uh, that we've learned from our Lobe Trotters group. Colin, in the last episode, one of your questions about the world's tallest slash biggest snow person. Snow person. Yes. I, I had scarcely just finished telling you guys on the show that uh, Olympia in Bethel, Maine, was the world's tallest snowman. Two days later, Karen, you said, "Uh uh-oh, Colin, commotion from Loeb Trotters, and you pasted a link to an article (laughs) from the uh, Lewiston Sun Journal. Title of the article is, Olympia, no longer the world's tallest snowman. And I was like, "What? dang it, what the heck is going on? So I read the article, and it's talking about how a team of snow builders in Austria in February 2020 apparently built a giant snow person named uh, Risi, uh, nearly 125 feet tall, which would make it two feet and change oh. taller than Olympia the Snowwoman. So now I read the article and and I was like, okay, all right, really? Like, is it? I want to see Guinness. I want to see that this is certified, right? Because you sourced it from Guinness. So the the very first thing I did, I went back to the Guinness website. I'm like, what the heck? Nope, the page still says world's tallest snow person. Good old Olympia Snowwoman, Bethel. So I was like, what's going on here? So I entered into sort of a uh, web news circularity uh, Mm. um, situation where I found a lot of articles sourcing each other, but I did Mm. not find any kind of primary source. And I certainly did not find anything official from the Guinness Book of World Records people on their website. Nothing I could find. So I was digging and digging and digging. You can't hide a a giant snow person. Uh, To be clear, I'm not suggesting that this thing was a figment of someone's imagination or like a a hoax. Oh, I'm sure they did it. A hoax. No, I mean, there are photos and I saw photos of Reese. Now, yeah, I mean, I have to say, in my opinion... I'm just going to say his hat is very tall. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to say like, okay, you're going for the record. Like it's, it's, it's tallest snow person, not snow person with tallest hat. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, Anyway. So uh, the article you sent me quoted MSN. I dug a little bit. I could not find the MSN article, but I found a lot of other articles all sort of quoting each other. I found a Reddit thread talking about Reese holding the record for tallest snowman ever uh, with a, with a pretty good picture of Reese. Um, so I, I, I was not satisfied. Eventually I ended up on an article. You found him from the Bangor daily news from January of this year. Maine still holds the world record <laughs> ah! for the tallest snowman. What, what happened to the other one? 
Good question, Karen. All right. So in this article by Emily Burnham goes into great detail. Uh, I will spare you recapping the whole history of Olympia, Snow Woman. Go listen to the last episode. We covered it in some good detail. The people in Austria built this thing. They did say that they applied to Guinness to have the record certified. And at that point, it sort of just got a life of its own on the web. Like the stories were kind of quoting something that was not in fact oh, official. Yeah. All right. According to the Bethel Chamber of Commerce, the Guinness people did not verify the record. And they oh. later said that in fact, their attempt was disqualified. <gasps> as far as Guinness is concerned, Olympia was, is still the record holder for world's tallest snow person. I found a small article on Bethelmain.com uh, under <laughs> Bethelmain.com slash snow people uh, talking about how <laughs> Bethelmain was uh, home to the world's tallest snowman in 1999, topped their own record in 2008. In February of 2020, it was widely reported that our record was beaten by people in the town of Donnersbachwald, Austria. Many news outlets from around the world shared this information. However, we learned later that oh. year that the Austrian record was disqualified. We never learned the reason why. Yeah. We were simply told, quote, if it's in the book, you still have the record. It is oh. impossible to correct the entire internet. So we'll just say it here. Our record still stands. So oh. that is the voice of Bethel Main um, carrying the torch for Olympia Snow Woman, still world record holder, despite- Snow mic drop. Yep, snow mic drop. Yep. I cannot fault our diligent listeners for, for being led astray because there, there was quite a bit of coverage on the internet. So um, we just don't know why it was disqualified. It could be it, it could be they didn't get a checker or auditor. It could be the hat. Yeah, those records might be sealed, right? I, I'm going to keep on digging for sure. <laughs> if I if I if I uncover the dirt here, I, I will let you know precisely why it was not certified. Could be the hat. Could be the hat. It could be the hat. Um, and listeners, I have one quick um actually language changes. Last episode, I talked about kafir lime leaves, and I was notified that. Now people call it a makrut lime, makrut mm. lime leaf, because ah. kafir is a not nice word in South Africa. All right. Good to note that. Makrut lime, not kafir lime. All right. That was a lot of ado. Without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, pop quiz, hotshot. Here I have a random trivial pursuit card. It is pop culture too. Okay. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Let's answer some questions. Blue Edge for TV. What reality show required host Phil Keegan to fly the equivalent of 10 laps around the earth in a year? Chris. The Amazing Race. Correct. Sorry mm -hmm. if I pronounce his name wrong. All right. Pink Wedge for Fad. What libation, when mixed with rum and whipped cream, do Viennese call a fi fiacre? Oh, no. Uh, Colin. Coffee. It is coffee. Oh, yeah, coffee. yeah. Yep, Viennese great. coffee. Nice. Uh, Yellow Wedge Buzz. What star of Desperado claims she once told men who'd kidnap her, 
kill me. I believe in reincarnation. I'll just come back. Wow. <laughs> what a strange oh, question. What a strange question. Uh, Desperado. Start in Desperado. I don't know. Uh, okay. Chris. Selma Hayek. Yes! Oh! Selma okay. Hayek. It popped into my head and I'm like, hmm, I think there's a reason that's there. Purple Wedge music. What's Ozzy Osbourne's given name? Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, does Sharon ever call him that on the on the Osbournes? Does she ever um... Colin? <sighs> Just first name. Oh, okay, yeah. Stewart. <laughs> That's a pretty good yeah, guess. Yeah. No, Aloysius. It is John. Uh, oh, here we go. Green wedge for movies. What Shrek two character <sighs> coughed up the most hairballs? Uh, <laughs> Chris. It would have to be Puss in Boots. Yes, correct. You're correct. It better yeah. be Puss in Boots. Because he's a cat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Uh, sports and games. What Maxis computer game lets hey. you build your own wild animal park? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh. That's a good question. Colin. I'm not going to overthink it. Is it? Is it? Is it just SimCity? Incorrect. Okay. So there's Sim City, there's Sim Farm, but it's not Sim Farm. It's not Sim. I don't think it's Sim Zoo. I don't think there's anything called Sim Zoo. Wild Animal Park. Hmm. Sim. It's like a preserve. Sim... Safari. Was there a Sim? Ooh, Sim Lord. Safari. Really? Okay. Yes. All right. Good guess. All right. Yeah. Good job, brains. Crazy. So today's episode, weird topic. Our topic. Our theme is uh hard. H-A-R-D, hard. Uh, what was the inspiration? Well, listeners, you might you will never know, but uh, this season I've done <laughs> some, we've recorded some quizzes that I have concocted, and it turns out they were too hard. <laughs> hard. Hard to a point where it's like listening to it is like not really fun. Punishing. <laughs> this happens. That's okay. Um, so I was like, oh, that'd be an interesting thing. Just things that are difficult or things that are physically hard. So this week... We're going on hard mode. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Karen, you said it. I mean, sometimes those quizzes are are, are too difficult. Um, I sometimes feel like maybe my quizzes are too easy. And if this is the hard mode episode, I decided uh. to create a very very hard quiz um this quiz is hard it is difficult i really want to level things up here on good job brain um it's i'm gonna have some questions that are just absolutely nails hard difficult questions and if if you guys can get these i'll be very impressed now there is a theme so maybe the theme will be able to help you here but you know, good luck figuring it out. So here we go. It's the hard quiz. It's a write All down right. quiz. Okay. Get your piece of paper. Uh, 12 questions in the quiz. Get ready for some absolute total <laughs> stumper questions. You're laughing. You're laughing, but I'm going to destroy <laughs> you. With I'm nervous now. now. I'm legitimately nervous. If and when you hear these questions and you're like, I have no idea you know, don't, don't worry. It's a really hard quiz. Like don't rack your brain about it. Just move on. Maybe it'll come to you. 
All right. That's all. all, You know, maybe maybe it'll come to you later, but probably not because it's too (laughs) difficult. Themed quiz. You're writing them down. Here we go. Question number one. What was the title of the allegorical play written by Bulgarian playwright Jordan Radikoff in 1974? What was the title of the allegorical play written by Bulgarian playwright Jordan Radikoff in 1974? Jordan Radikoff. Oh my goodness. Jordan, Jordan, sort of like Jordan with a Y, Radikoff, like radish, but with a D, K-O-V at the end. 1974. So don't don't put any of his allegorical plays that <laughs> prior <laughs> prior to that. Yeah, it's winnowing them down is the by Bulgarian playwright Radikoff. Wow. So um, okay, well you're writing these down. So here's the thing: I don't want you, I don't want to see it. Will you you just write it down basically because it is a theme round. So okay. you know write it down and just just you know keep it safe, and then we'll see at the end who's doing what. So question number two, assuming you already wrote down your answers. Um, yes. Question number two: What was the title on the seventh track of indie rock band The Appleseed Cast's 2006 album Peregrine? <laughs> so, just in case you didn't get that, question number two: This is trivia. This might come up one day. What was the title of the seventh track of indie rock band The Appleseed Cast's 2006 album Peregrine? Okay, write down your answers. Uh, question number three. Question three. What was the town in England where gold prospector William Billy Barker was born? <laughs> what is the town in England where gold prospector William Billy Barker was born? Question number four. Cool. Uh, what was the Finnish metal band best known for its 2008 studio album, Anthems for the Rejected? <laughs> Finnish metal band best known for its 2008 studio album, Anthems for the Rejected. That's question four. Question number five. Uh, what island off the coast of Scotland boasts St. Adrian's Chapel, as well as sightings of over 285 oh. bird species? Oh, oh, name of island? You name of the island. Oh, island off my, the coast of Scotland. It has St. Adrian's <laughs> Chapel, as well as sightings of over 285 different bird species. That's amazing, isn't it? Hmm. That's question five. Question six. I hope you're, and maybe you've got one or two of these, you know. I, I mean, half of them, half of them for sure. Half yeah. of them for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Question yeah. number six. Question six. What mountain played host to the ski and snowboard events of the 2006 California Winter Games? Oh my God. Just think back to watching the 2006 California Winter Games on TV. <laughs> it's the mountain. It's the mountain that played host to the ski and snowboard events. Okay. All right. Uh, question number seven. What is the gamer name, the gamer handle of professional StarCraft player Park Sung Joon? That's question seven. What's the gamer name of professional StarCraft player Park Sung Joon? All right. I'm sure the theme is starting to emerge here as you're writing down your answers. Question number eight. (laughs) Question number eight. What 1986 Eric Clapton album featured It's In The Way That You Use It? What 1986 Eric Clapton album featured It's In The Way That You Use It. Yes. Question 8. 86 Eric Clapton album featuring It's In The Way That You Use It. Write down that answer. Uh, Question number 9. What 1978 Earth, Wind, and Fire song was later added to the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry? Got it. Question number 9. What 1978 Earth, Wind, and Fire song was later added to the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry? 
Question number 10. What 1917 revolution put Lenin and the Bolsheviks into power in Russia? Question number 10. What 1917 revolution put Lenin and the Bolsheviks into power in Russia? Question number 11. What is the letter N in the NATO phonetic alphabet? Question okay. 11. What is the letter N in the NATO yeah. phonetic alphabet? Yeah. All right. Question number yeah. 12. I know you're never going to get all the questions in my extremely hard quiz. So I'm going to give you question <laughs> number 12. Question number 12. This was the second of several hit singles from the 1995 album by alternative rock group Collective Soul. wow wow the second of several hit singles from the 1995 album by alternative rock group collective soul is question number 12 so as i said this is a really hard quiz a lot of really hard questions extremely difficult trivia there is a theme so in about five more seconds i'm going to ask you to put your answers up and we will see how many points each of you has gotten. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, answer sheets up. Uh, let's see. Karen says, uh, question one, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Colin says the same thing. Uh, yes, absolutely. January, allegorical wow. play by Bulgarian playwright Jordan Radikoff in 74. Uh, February, uh, seventh track on indie rock band The Appleseed Cast 2000 album. Hold on. Green. March. Did you I, even what? listen to that song? No, absolutely not. Have you? <laughs> Three, town in England where gold prospector William Billy Barker was born. That is March. Uh, April is the Finnish metal band best known for its 2008 studio album, Anthems for the Rejected. <laughs> Island of May off the coast of Scotland, really famous. Over two, they, They've seen puffins? over 285 puffins and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> they go there to watch seabirds like all the time. They've got video cameras set up oh. on it because so many different seabirds show up there uh june mountain in california june mountain uh popular popular place for skiing and snowboarding uh number seven weirdly enough ironically enough the gamer <laughs> yeah, name person named june park sung june his gamer name is july um, 86 eric eric clapton album august august by eric clapton 86 it's in the way that you use it uh, question number nine may have been a bit too easy looking back. Yeah. <laughs> it was later to the, how the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry was September. The October Revolution put Lenin and the Bolsheviks into power in Russia. Letter N in the NATO phonetic alphabet is November. And the second of several hit singles from the 95 album by Collective Soul was December. So you guys that was somehow incredible. What a soul quiz. My extremely hard quiz. The How light went on it? when I saw Karen's light go on. Karen's oh, light really? went on, I think, uh and for in September when you had Earth, Wind and Fire, yeah, Karen's yeah, yeah. like, oh got it. And then I'm like, how could she get it from wait a minute? <laughs> <laughs> 12 questions and then it was good and it was like you had just good good level design there chris because it was like you had the inkling and then the very next question lets us confirm that we have it correct like okay right. october sure. revolution yeah. that was that was great that was good <laughs> I, mean, I mean not that this is a a, a work postmortem uh, on a project yeah 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 <laughs> 
I would probably keep all of the questions super uh-huh. hard and obscure and right. left September in. Very I was nice. Just, it was more of like, I wonder what would happen if I did this. Yes. Yeah. Not, not me. I'm not saying this is me, but like, honestly, how many of these would be actually guessable questions? Oh, I, all right. I mean, God. like sure. September. Yeah. You know, October revolution, November, December. So I feel like those last four, definitely Eric Clapton. That's totally gettable. Uh, you could know the gamer. He also didn't word the questions in a regular trivia True. the way that no. we usually would word, right? For that we sure. would put in clues or insinuate. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. You on of purpose course. is like, what is this? 1974 right. obscure play. Yeah, I think like an eight would be a very impressive, just pure trivia score. Like if you I'd had be, enough time I'd be to, yeah. blown away because so many of these things are like the absolute, like, well, that's the thing, you know, it does really go to show you that there really is an art to writing a trivia oh, yeah. question. Absolutely. Not literally just asking a question about something. It's, you know, it should be, it should be gettable. There should be clues in it that would lead the average person to sort of be able to, to try to figure it out if they've totally. heard of it before. You should, yeah. you should never feel like you're just floundering around. Yeah, no, that was great. Thank you for, yes, thank you for coming along on the on the, the, the troll quiz. <laughs> it's hard to, in some ways, articulate what makes a bad question until you hear a bad question. And as you noted, you know, at one point on an early show, Chris, like, we could easily stump each other 10 oh. out of 10. Like, like each yeah. of us has yeah, such sure. obscure knowledge that we could, if we wanted to, just come in and just stump each other. But that's not fun for anybody involved. And, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Good job. Thank you, Chris. Oh, sure. Ooh, no we're problem. warmed up now, at I'll least. Never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from rage. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to ask pop another pop quiz. Pop quiz hot shot for you guys off the dome on the mm. subject of world history. Mm. What color do you associate the British military with? Ooh. Uh, red. Red. Yes. Why, Colin? Oh, red coats. Just as red a red coats. <laughs> yeah. Going going way back to our, our nation's <laughs> fierce revolution. For a really long time, the British military used to wear red uh, as part of their military uniform. It was um, obviously it was phased out by the 20th century. Like they changed into khakis, which was mm. way more. <laughs> yeah. Makes makes way more sense. <laughs> yeah. And now, you know, British military is in camo. It's kind of similar to all of the militaries all over the world because it's effective. The British infantrymen in, in most military wore these iconic red coats uh, between 16th and 19th century. So it had mm. a good run. Mm. For today's topic on hard, initially I wanted to do something about shells. <laughs> I, I talk about lobsters a lot. I was thinking about like seashells, you know, having a hard exterior, maybe animals that have shells like tortoises mm-hmm. or like exoskeleton, like insects and creatures with their skeletons on the outside exoskeleton. So I'm going to talk about the cochineal. Oh. <laughs> it sounds pretty, it sounds dirty. C O C H I N E A L. Cochineal. You've probably heard of this before. It's a beetle. Yeah. And it's a pretty popular kind of fun fact that shows up on the internet or shows up on TV, especially when we talk about weird food ingredients or additives, right? Before the time of synthetic dyes, people relied on natural sources for coloring, for dyes, for pigments. And so cochineal is a beetle that they grind up the female beetles and they mix it with other chemicals to produce 
dye, also mm, known as carmine, yeah. right? Mm. So red dye, this is what we currently call natural red four. Okay. Natural red four is made up of processed, ground up cochineal beetles, their shells, their bodies mixed up with other chemicals. I, I, I know it makes sense. But yeah, when I see natural, I think, you know, oh, it's from plants or something like that. I don't I don't think it's from beetles. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, the yeah, skins that of is, berries. That is natural. Yeah. yeah. Natural red four is used to it used in a lot of different ways, cosmetics, but mostly it's used to color meat to, to add a bit of a, oomph, mm. a little bit of a, a pop. To meat <laughs> products, especially like salami or cured meats, to have that like deep, vibrant maroon red. And it's thermally stable, which is why people use it because it doesn't really change that much. It's not volatile. Mm. When we hear about about the carmine beetle or the cochineal beetle, it stops there. Like, oh, did you know your food has ground up beetle? How gross. And like the trivia stops there. But I've discovered a story so fascinating I just had to share. So the female cochineal beetle, they're not like roaming around everywhere and anywhere, <laughs> right? Like many, you can't just find them. Not as many as it would be otherwise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they specifically only feed on prickly pear cactus. Prickly pear cactus. They're mm-hmm. kind of like the flat upside down teardrop shaped cactus with mm-hmm. kind of growing on top of each other. They only feed on prickly pear cactus, which means cochineal beetles only live where prickly cactus, cacti live. And this is South America, Central America, in the Southwest region of the United States. Hmm. In the late 1700s, Spain and Portugal had a monopoly on cochineal red dye <laughs> because they had colonized most of South America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yay! Uh, not yay. Boo! And so, of course, Spain, Portugal, controlling the regions that have this cactus, thus controlling the cochineal beetle. Uh, and, of course, the Brits, the British rule was like, hey, we want to control our own red dye source, too. Our military coats are red. We need this red dye. We, huh. we, we need our own source of red dye. And so the Brits tried to start their own carmine red dye industry. And so they looked around, they're like, all right, what we got? Okay, what countries do we have? (laughs) Australia. Oh, great. Australia, kind of like a desert. Has desert-like conditions. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) It's hot. It's dry. Let's make that our HQ for farming these beetles. Let's grow a bunch of cactus there. What's the worst that could happen? So Mr. Captain Arthur Phillip traveled to Brazil, collected some beetles, collected some a beetle-infested cactus and sailed on over to Australia. <laughs> this plan epically failed because, first of all, the bugs just all died. <laughs> Second of all, they were right. The prickly pear cactus loved the conditions. Uh, they uh, uh, thrived in the conditions. The cactus loved their new Australian digs so much that it started to take over. Oh no. Fields of this cactus. Oh, like you Lord. can't even you can't get anywhere. Like it took over a hundred thousand square miles, almost the size of New Zealand <laughs> in Australia. It's from the Queensland government, and I quote Acknowledged as one of the greatest biological invasions of modern times, the introduction 
and subsequent spread of prickly pear into Queensland and New South Wales had infested millions of hectares of rural land, rendering it useless, uh. completely useless, so useless that people just abandoned their land. Uh. I can't imagine doing it now. Like, the prickly I don't even... pears have it now. It's too late. Yeah. Uh. Well, what do you do? So clearly the solution is let's introduce another bug that eats the cactus. Yes. <laughs> and I don't, it's so funny because I feel like Australia. So, so many times throughout the 10 years of the show, Australia always has these, the frog eats the fly, yes, the cat yes. eats the frog and the dog eats the cat. Yeah, and, what is you it know, with Australia? <laughs> yeah. They introduce this moth called, this is the scientific name, Cactoblastus <laughs> to blast some cactus. <laughs> Cactoblastus moth introduced in 1926. So this moth, it's not native to Australia. They had to get this moth from Argentina. They introduced at first 3,000 moth eggs. In the next generation, there was two and a half million eggs. <laughs> and they were distributed and they ate the cactus into pulpy mess. Wow. And brought it under control. However, life finds a way. However. They needed they needed Jeff Goldblum to tell them to not do any of this. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now they're finding new cactus varieties that aren't very attractive to the moths anymore. And so, yeah. So this is just like, this really is the nature's game of the old lady who swallowed a fly. Yes. 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 And you end up with super moth resistant cactus all just because the British wanted more red coats. How crazy is that? (laughs) Thanks, England. (laughs) Thanks for throwing a wrench into the ecosystem of Australia. Wow. Just kidding. I love you, England. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles, smart trivia. Good Job Brain. And we're back. Today, we're talking about things that are hard, physically or mentally, or <laughs> maybe emotionally. This has been a this has been a tough show. Those are not <laughs> mutually exclusive. I'm I'm feeling a little tender right now. Yeah. 
I think talking about what makes a good trivia question uh, is a good segue into what I want to chat about. Uh, in, in prepping for the show, I was really fixated on the idea of hard puzzles, right? Mm. And, you know, not to get too philosophical, but we're going to get a little philosophical. What does it mean when we say a game oh. or a puzzle? Like, what do we mean? We say it's hard. It's one of those words. It seems so intuitive. Oh, that was really hard. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean it was hard? It's like, oh, Colin, I know you don't use Facebook, but me and Chris are on Facebook. And they're, they're in, in, the, <laughs> in the Lobe Trotters discussion, uh, there was an, a very interesting connections puzzle the other day. And uh, people in the group are talking about it. And it's so divisive. I'm in the camp where I was like, that was so hard. I got it, but I was sweating. (laughs) There's some people are like, oh, I got it right away. And I think that that sweat, the sweating, I don't know how to how to describe that, but I, I need that sweating aspect to, to yeah. make a puzzle feel hard. Oh, like I got that little skin flush. Okay, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think it's also interesting that you contrasted it with people saying, oh, I got it right away. Like, I feel like however we want to add the middle steps, it comes down to time. When we say mm-hmm. a puzzle is hard, on some level... To be a little reductive, we mean it took a long time, you know, like it's, 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 it's almost as simple as that. And that can take a lot of forms, meaning I had to think about it for a long time, or it was very physically precise and a jigsaw puzzle. I've seen these, you guys probably have, you know, the it's hundreds of pieces and they're all one color. It's, it's kind of tedious, but it's solvable. It's just, you got to kind of work your way through it. That's hard, even if it's not taxing your brain. Yeah. So I, I was kind of going with the angle of puzzle in some sense is harder, the longer it takes to solve. Then I remembered back to a story that I first came across about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. I want to tell you about a puzzle that was commissioned, really, by a man named A.J. Jacobs. And you might recognize his name. Oh. It might sound familiar. He's the right for Esquire, right? He also has written a lot for Mental Floss, among other places. So before we get to exactly what his puzzle is, have you heard the term of a, a generation puzzle? Have you, have you heard this term before in the Mm-mm. puzzling world? Do you remember when we were at uh, SporkleCon some weeks ago, uh, the three of us, we got into a conversation uh, with someone else about uh, Rubik's Cubes and speed cubing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm not even going to say what the world record is. I think the last time I mentioned it on the show was broken the very next day. Even if you're a speed cuber, you know your path forward. It's, 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 you're just- Working, it's algorithmic. Yeah. You're just working your way through it. So, all right. So a Rubik's cube is three by three, right? So imagine if you had a nine by nine cube, okay? There's still an algorithm to solve it, but it's just more steps, okay? So you're still following a process, but the nine by nine cube is, by some definitions, it's harder because it takes you longer, all right? So you can kind of see where I'm going here. So imagine, let's stick with Rubik's cubes for a minute here. Imagine a 100 by 100 side cube oh. right or a thousand by a thousand you know let's let's leave aside the physical manufacturing okay. concerns right say, okay it's gonna take you longer and longer and longer and longer to solve this and eventually even if you're following the checklist you're gonna reach a rubik's cube that is longer than a human lifespan so <laughs> oh. we're starting to get sort of a rough analogy of the idea of a generation puzzle 
So there is a class of puzzle makers and uh, puzzle solvers who, uh, in recent years, it's gotten more popular, but it's an old concept of a puzzle that might take a very, very, very long time to solve, such that you might pass it down to your children. You might start working on this generation puzzle. And you know what? Uh, my time's up. It's I got part of the way through it. Here no you go, way. kids. Yeah, but yeah. you just don't have closure. You I, and it's not for everybody. Karen, I know that you are the kind of person, I know that you're the kind of person who wants to see it through to the end. Um, There are some very, very fun artisan level, well-made puzzles for sale that fall into this category. Kubia Games, for one example, they sell a puzzle called the (laughs) <laughs> this is the name of the puzzle. It's a puzzle lock. It comes in the shape of like a padlock, all right? And your your task is to to open it. It is called the 341,718,750 oh move generation puzzle lock. Uh, sells for over $400. It is not a cheap toy. It is a work of art as well as a generation puzzle. This is their own description. If you're buying this, be warned. There are a minimum of 341 million, et cetera, moves required to open this lock. And it involves sliding, you know, little knobs, basically, in the, just the correct sequence. As the name implies, it might take a generation or two to open the lock. Assuming you work around the clock, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and average two seconds per move, the puzzle will still take you more than 21 years to solve. No, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I cannot. Some people would say like, oh, this is beautiful. It's not like, I mean, I will fess up that like as a kid, I certainly took the stickers off a Rubik's Cube and kind of solved it the cheap way when I would get frustrated. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no equivalent here on the 341 million and change move generation puzzle lock. you got to just work the process. You got to just do it and you do it until you're tired. And then someone else in your family maybe takes over the next shift. And it's almost more a kind of meditation exercise on what does it mean to solve a puzzle? What does it mean to work through a puzzle knowing that you'll never see the end of it? Would you classify this as hard though? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Is like, It is, sounds like it's a lot of busy work. On some level, isn't that where anything crosses over from That's being true. easy to, you know, like Chris, right? Yeah. For example, you know, in, in, in the world of level builders, uh, games mm-hmm. that have custom level builders, as you well know, there is a whole community, many communities of people, their goal is to make just the most grief-inducing, punishing, punishing yeah. level possible. And what what is solving one of those other than just memorizing the correct sequence, right? That's it's true. just It's just trial and error until you get the correct Time. sequence down and then you punch it and then you're often very mad when you finish and you're like, thank God I did it. I never have to do it again. It, that's hard. That's a kind of hard, right? So um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I will leave it up to you to decide if, if you think that a puzzle that takes... 40 years to solve is hard just by virtue of taking 40 years, even if there's a way through to the end, as opposed to you having to figure something out as opposed to just go through the steps. Um, So back to AJ Jacobs. AJ Jacobs decided that uh, as sort of an extension of his love of 
puzzling, writing about puzzles extensively, uh, sharing them with the world. He was going to commission a puzzle for himself and his family that was the oh. hardest or the longest to solve puzzle ever created. There was some coverage of this in 2022. Um, there was an article on The Atlantic that called it the puzzle that will outlast the world. And that is not being hyperbolic. So AJ Jacobs <laughs> partnered with a well-known puzzle designer named Oscar Van Deventer. Basically, Jacobs gave him the challenge of, I want you to create something that is on another level compared to these generation puzzles. Uh, 21 years, pff, come on, 50 years. I want something that is astronomical. What Oscar Van Deventer came up with is called Jacob's Ladder. All right, it's a pun on Jacob's, <laughs> AJ Jacob's. Yeah, it's, it is yeah, clever. Yeah. It's clever. It's good. And the, the puzzle itself is a, it's made of wood and it's kind of a square-ish tower. It's tall and it sort of has lattice-like structure around the edges. The goal of Jacob's Ladder is essentially to turn wooden pegs, there are many wooden pegs along the sides in the right sequence to release the center structure. Okay. The, the, the thing to take away here is that it is a very elaborate mathematically based puzzle that you turn a knob, you try and open up the corkscrew shaped rod inside, you solved it. The only problem is how many turns it takes to get there. According to Jacobs and his puzzle designer, there are 1.3 decillion turns required to solve this puzzle, okay? That is the number one followed by 33 numbers, okay? If you, if you twisted one peg per second, nonstop, it would take you about 40 septillion years to solve the puzzle. By the time, no. <laughs> at the time, this is longer than the sun is expected to last. Like our, the sun will have uh, burned out our planet. We will not be here. Our planet will not be here. It is heat death of the universe type time steals that we're talking about. Not only that, I read, if you rubbed off a single atom due to friction with every turn, the puzzle would have eroded before you could even get to the end because it does not <laughs> even have 1.3 decillion atoms in the puzzle. So it is, if it, unless you break, unless you break it, it is literally unsolvable. It is not conceivable that as a human race, even we will ever see the end of Jacob's ladder. So it's the, basically it's the Tootsie Roll pop of puzzles. It's like how many, <laughs> how many turns until you just crack the thing open. It's more like an installation piece. Yeah. You know, Jacobs has basically said this is, it's something that he does with his family. You know, he knows that no one in his family is going to see it. end. it's, it's meditative. You know that when you're done, you're closer to the end than the beginning. Okay, Colin, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. In your research, have we heard reports where people have completed a generation puzzle? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, none of the sort of modern ones that, that I saw. Okay. Um, you know, they, they say that 
this is this is really simplifying a little bit, but you guys are maybe familiar with like at this point the uh, the the seven rings puzzle or the Chinese rings puzzle. Oh, it's yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, called. Yeah. There are a lot of variations on this puzzle that it sometimes is not even rings anymore. But it's it's basically sort of a, a binary you know type puzzle, right? It's you and if you manipulate something in just the right order, you can pull the rod out of the rings or you can slide the thing out of the thing and it's usually a set of seven you know turns or something like that those games are sort of i mean they seem simpler now but those are in the family of what were once considered generation games yeah that like if you didn't know the pattern it might take you a year or longer to solve the chinese rings puzzle once upon a time you know it is hard if hard means takes a long time this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, I have one last segment. It's a, a bit of a story, some trivia. We got some questions in here, uh, so bear with me. This is one of my unhinged story rants of my <laughs> life. Uh, so in my long list of extracurricular activities, I also used to admin a singles dating group for people who run Disney marathons. I did not know that. How do I not know that? Wow. Um, they used to call me Mama Bear. It was oh like gosh. a social matchmaking group for Disney fans and runners, <laughs> marathoners. And because of that group, I got invited to several weddings due to <laughs> successful pairings. Wow. Uh, yes, yes. So a lot of people f- did find love. And so in 2018, I flew to Orlando to my friend's mike and candace's wedding and on the day before the big event it was really cute they organized a little 5k around like the hotel grounds because we all met running and um afterwards they had like a casual party for all the wedding guests um it was at this party which was just at someone's like hotel room where mike the groom handed me a can of something i have never seen or heard even heard of before at this point So this was 2018. This was my first time ever seeing, then tasting, a white claw. (laughs) Where were you (laughs) when you had your first white claw? You know what? I I can tell you exactly where I was. It was like a company picnic or something like that. Someone opened up a case and they were all just, oh, yeah, we got the white. And I was like, oh, what is this? I'd never had one before. It was it was 2019. I can tell you exactly when I was. It was wow. 2019. It was summer. Yep. Karen, I think I was at your house. I feel like, I, <laughs> oh, really? I feel like you guys had a party and like there were white claws oh. there. For, for those who are minors. Uh, or those who live outside of the United States, a white claw is what you call a hard seltzer. Mm. It is club soda or flavored, just carbonated water with alcohol. Oh, is that all. why we're talking about this? It hard, it's hard seltzer, <laughs> yes. Um, and very briefly, historically, a drink is hard if it has alcohol and soft if it soft. doesn't, which right. is why we have soft drinks. Hard, not all the time, but hard can also denote that the alcohol is from distilled alcohol, 
versus fermented alcohol. Hard liquor. A beer or wine. Hard liquor, right? Back to this wedding trip. I remember this moment so clearly because, A, it tasted very refreshing (laughs) because it was just bubble water with, with alcohol. And two, what a genius idea. Yeah. This is, it blew me away. It's not sweet. There's no added sugar. The alcohol is like malt. And, and, and so it was just at this time, I was like, this, this is right when the big LaCroix boom. Mm. Colin, you had a whole segment uh, in our underdog episode about the fascinating kind of mind-blowing history of LaCroix. Mm-hmm. and. Hey, people love drinking flavored bubble water. Let's make it alcoholic. It just seemed like a really simple concept, and I can't believe it took so long Yeah, to get us here. Or did it? So a lot of historical things had to happen to set White Claw and hard seltzers up for success. Like something had to walk in order for White Claw to to run or to claw, (laughs) I guess. That something is the butt of 90s jokes oh i was i was hoping i was hoping we were gonna have an appearance known as of course zima (laughs) z-i-m-a for all you babies out there who don't know zima so Uh, trivia question time what company made zima oh is it anheuser-busch incorrect was it miller it was Coors, the okay. Coors Brewing okay. Company, okay. Uh, made Zima. Follow up question: Where does the name Zima come from? Hmm. <sighs> Sounds like the end of a word. Or something yeah, like I was gonna say just oh. like a very, very nineties, or like it, or the beginning of a word, like Zemantic acid, or so, I don't know, something like that. It- <laughs> Yeah, they like their X's and Z's mm. and like weird, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, high value letters uh, in the nineties. So is it zemantic acid? Z- no, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's not. Zima uh, means winter in a lot of like Slavic languages. Ah. Okay. It also sounds like Sima, S I M A, which is a mead, mead alcoholic beverage that hmm. traditionally the Finnish people drink. Sima. Okay. S-I-M-A. I can tell you exactly where I was when I had my first Zima, too. I've never <laughs> had it. It's I, it I was, was a child. It's one of those things I wanted to like it. I was in my college dorm room. We had heard, just kind of like <laughs> through the scene, we had heard that there was this product being test marketed in Sacramento. All right. Now, this was like at college in Berkeley. And so I, I, sw- I swear. That's two hours I, away. I swear this is what happened. Not me, but my roommate and and his buddies they had heard about this thing they drove no after, they did they did i swear like after class on a friday they got in one of them car they drove from berkeley to sacramento but so somehow they got their hands in sacramento on a case of zima and brought it back to berkeley Wow, what heroes. And they were like, oh, you, you, it was it was like this big unveiling. It was just this whole, like, ever, like, we were all <laughs> crowded around. Like, we had all heard it's like beer, but it doesn't taste like beer, and it's clear. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm like, who is this for? Like, who, what, what is Did, this? Anybody, anybody in this room have a problem with beer? <laughs> <laughs> In the most 90s way possible, man. Like everything had to be clear. Everything had to be a new take. Yeah. It had just very, this angular kind of designy bottle it had fluting on it. I remember I can yes, feel it in fluting. my hand. I can like, I can feel it in my hand still. And 
I I probably finished it, but I don't think I enjoyed it. It just had a. Just, How would you describe kind of, the the taste and the flavor and the? the I would describe experience. it as as it was kind of cloyingly sweet in in my memory. It tasted alcoholic. It did it did not taste like you know like the advance was like oh it doesn't it just tastes like you're drinking a soda and I was like no it did not just taste like I was drinking a soda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like I remember having Zima, but then it's like, am I just remembering Crystal Pepsi? Like, I'm not really sure which one, but it does. I, it, it it does. When you say it, it just seemed like like overly sweet and and sticky. Like that's sort of yeah, that sounds about right. So so yes, Zima is clear. First of all, Zima is carbonated. Zima is sugary, is sweet, mm. and and Zima is lemon lime. Ah, you are correct. This is what is called the clear craze. <laughs> Our electronics were clear. We had a clear Game Boy. We had clear yes. phones. We had clear inflatable furniture for some reason. Like it was just such a Y2K 90s aesthetic now. But like for food to be clear, it meant that we didn't add anything to it. <laughs> yeah. Right? That was kind of the visual, the sh- you know, shorthand to be like, oh, we didn't treat it. Like tired of beer and its yellow color that we <laughs> added. Right, right. You know, try this clear thing. If there was anything bad in here, you'd be able to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can see right through it. So trivia question about this. Mm, so yeah. obviously the biggest publicity and marketing campaign for clear products is belongs to Crystal Pepsi. A clear <laughs> Pepsi. Wow. Pepsi's arch nemesis, Coca-Cola, also had a rival colorless soda. Oh. What was it called? Ooh. A colorless cola. Yeah, yes. right. Mm. Colorless cola. Right, because it wasn't... Uh, it's not like Sprite. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Coca-Cola had a colorless cola in the, what, the 90s? Do you think they had the... Did, the do you think they had the company did, yes. Did they, yeah, I was going to say, oh. did they have the confidence to call it Coke, or was it like Diamond Fanta or something like that? Orbitz? Was it Orbitz? <laughs> oh, I loved Orbitz. Yeah, uh, tab Clear. Really? Oh... So not under the Coca-Cola moniker, Tab was Coca-Cola's diet soda. Right, right. It's a separate brand called Tab. This is before Diet Coke. Tab had Tab Clear. So it was <sighs> it was their diet cola, but clear. I think I vaguely remember that. That's funny. So back to Zima. Zima failed. There are tons of reasons why Zima failed, but to Zima's credit, they did put malt alcoholic beverages on the map. Mm. the public consumer awareness map it helped create this category of drinks which is sometimes called malternative (laughs) (laughs) malternative alcoholic soda or alcopop malternative has become its own beverage category Mm. trivia question Mm. around the 2000s what was the name of the viral prank that involve kneeling and chugging <laughs> a particular malt beverage. Icing. Icing, ice. yes. <laughs> oh, man, I have not thought about that in several years. Smirnoff ice, right? Is that what it was? Okay. Smirnoff ice, another alternative. <laughs> How do I even explain the rules of this? If a, a, a bottle of Smirnoff ice is in your line of sight, you have to kneel down 
<laughs> and then chug the <laughs> bottle of Smirnoff ice. I don't know why we did this. I think it was an elaborate construct so that people uh, could drink these things um, and pretend they were doing it ironically when they really just wanted to drink Smirnoff ice. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that led to the decline of these hard malt sugary soda drinks was the problem of underage drinking. Mm. And so even California, California try to raise the taxes on what they call alco pops. Right, right. It could be that, but it also could be people were just becoming more conscious about sugar intake, carb intake mm. at that time. Keto was on the rise. Gluten allergy was starting to get more awareness and the popularity of LaCroix. All of those things kind of helped make White Claw happen. Mm. And thanks to the massive success of Hard Seltzer, now we're seeing all these other brands trying to make regular drinks hard. Mm. There's hard kombucha. Yes. There's hard iced tea. Yes. There's hard Mountain Dew. Haritos, the Mexican soda. There's hard Haritos. Oh, I didn't see that one. There is Duncan spiked iced coffee. I've seen Can. these. I've seen the spiked Can. iced coffees. Yeah, yeah. And where where does like uh uh was was Mike's Hard Lemonade was another one of these too, right? Yes, they were, pretty, they were pretty early in that scene. I feel like no surprise. Mike's Hard Lemonade, their company also made White Claw. Ah, uh huh. Ah, okay. So they dip their toes already in this. Uh, Very smart in this category. Yeah, and it's really about it's it, it's about the sugar, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. people are are drinking a lot fewer sugared drinks. So they're like just looking for something that's like, what yeah. can get me drunk? <laughs> yeah. I still want to get drunk. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's our show. We've completed hard mode. Woo! Wasn't that hard? Wasn't that hard? Well, thank you for joining me and thank you all listeners for listening and hope you learned stuff about generation puzzles, hard puzzles about beetle shells, about, Chris's troll quiz. <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like The History of Everything, The Movies That Made Us, and Who Arted. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.